God, but maybe I should begin trusting God. Uh, we, we just sang just a beautiful hymn. How many, how many hundreds of times have some of us sang that song? My question, I guess, is this this morning. Is your soul well? We proclaim that over and over. It is well with my soul. Is it? Are you, are, is your soul well right now? And can I just say, if it's not, if there's some struggle you're dealing with or some affliction, uh, some relational issue, can I, just, can I just promote to you this morning, I guess, there are several reasons why you can trust God, even if your soul isn't exactly well right now. So look at Mark chapter 4. Here's, here's the first reason, is because Jesus is Lord over all creation. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, I'm going I'm to start in verse 35. And as I mentioned last week, um, the, the, I've had this Bible for 30 plus years, and it's in the New American Standard. And so, uh, so the words will be a little different in the ESV, but, but not that much. And so uh, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, I'm going to read actually, looks like six passages to you. And I just want us to track who is Jesus in these passages, and maybe that would give me reason to trust him. So watch this. In Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And on that day, when the evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up, and Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said, the disciples awoke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Verse 39, and being aroused, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died and it became perfectly calm. Now guys, I just, again, we, some of us have read that passage over and over. It's the, it's the calming of the storm. Who in the world has the ability to calm creation? How, how do you even do that? How do you look at something immaterial and say, hush, be still? And it does. So why can you trust Jesus? Because he is the Lord of all, all creation. Watch this. Jump over to chapter 5 and look, look at verse 1. So they get through that, and then they came to the other side of the sea into the country of Gerasenes. And when he had come out, when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, And constantly night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountains, and the demons entreated him, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned into the sea. Now, you could spend quite a deal of time from the different perspectives of this account as to what people were thinking and feeling. I always like to think about what were the owners of these pigs thinking and feeling? as they watched 2,000 of them run off the hill. 
That's for another time. Don't miss, I think, in verse 13, the first five words. And Jesus gave the demons what? Permission. Guys, the reason you can trust Jesus today is because he is Lord over the spiritual realm. Thirdly, Mark chapter 5, look at verse 21. So they get through that ordeal. And then Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side. A great multitude gathered around him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and, said to, and fell at his feet and entreated Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. And after hearing Jesus, she came up behind the crowd and touched his cloak. Verse 28, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around into the crowd and said, who touched me? How, how do you touch somebody and have your afflictions healed? Because of the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only trustworthy because he's the Lord over all creation, because he's the Lord over the spiritual realm. Gang, he's the Lord over our bodies. Our bodies are fantastically complex. And all it took was for her to touch his cloak. And that affliction healed up to which the doctors she attend, uh, attended to couldn't do that for her. Year after year after year. And it took one touch from her body, uh, from, from her to Jesus' cloak. Follow along then further down. After that happened, he says to, uh, in verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Verse 38, and they came to the house of the synagogue official, and Jesus beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12. And immediately they were completely astounded. Gang, the reason that you can trust Jesus if your soul isn't feeling well today, is because he is the Lord over death. He says to a 12-year-old, get up and rise. That's not a problem for me to do. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. Arise. And immediately she does. Fifth, Mark chapter 6, drop over to verse 35. Fascinating accounts in, the first, in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Mark. Verse 35 of chapter 6 and when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send all of this crowd away so that, we may go, that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, shall we go spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said, well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to all recline by groups on the green grass. And they reclined in companies of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and he broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them. The key verse is verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were full. 5,000 people. Jesus fed them all with five and two fish. If there is ever a reason to trust Jesus, gang, it's because he is Lord over material things. And then finally, look at chapter 6, verse 45. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. And while he himself was sending the multitudes away, after bidding them farewell, Jesus departed to the mountain to pray. Verse 47, and when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea and he was alone on land and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea as he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a, gro a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Jesus is Lord over the physical natures, uh, the physical laws of nature, including gravity. If I have a problem, if my soul is troubled this morning, can I just encourage you, logically, guys, there's no one better to put my trust in than someone who is Lord over creation, the spiritual realm, our bodies, death, material things, and the physical laws of nature. Who else on the planet can do that but Jesus? And so can I just implore you this morning, he is the only one that we should be putting our trust in. So there's a slide. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. This is a gross misrepresentation, guys, of the world we live in today. And the reason it is is because how does it pit Satan versus Jesus? As equal. As if like, we're, like we see that and think, Go, oh, Jesus. I hope you win. We're on Team Jesus. But when we say that, don't we think, but he could lose. That's what that image represents. We don't have time this morning, but gang, in, in Revelation chapter 20, when Satan is going to be thrown into the abyss for a thousand years before the reign of Christ, uh, for a thousand years, that account is so crystal clear that dismantles this image. God is seemingly with the angels, and God says in, in Revelation chapter 20, um, he says to an angel, a nameless angel, we have Michael, we have Gabriel. This one was, didn't, did, for whatever reason, John didn't record his name. And so we have this angel, just an angel, and he gets thrown the keys of the abyss. God throws him the keys of the abyss and says, go down and bind Satan for a thousand years and, and lock him up in the abyss. So guess what the angel does? He does it. And nowhere in the text in Revelation 20 do we have Satan putting up a fight. It's like Satan is doing his work and an angel, an angel, who is lower than God, who is lower than Jesus, an angel shows up with the keys and, and a chain. You know, Satan opens the door. It's me. I've got to bind you for a thousand years. You don't see any fight from Satan. It's as almost as if he knows it's coming and says, okay, well, here we go. 
I get one last, you know, shot at this at the end of the millennium, but, but until then, you know, I get it. Like, I'm not your match. That is sacrilegious, guys. That's unbiblical. That's inaccurate. But I guess I just have to ask the question, how many of us wake up and think that that actually is true? That, man, God, I hope you're having a good day today because you need all the strength you can muster up to handle Satan today. And Jesus says, have you read Mark 4, 5, and 6? Do you know who I am? Do you know the power I possess? And here's the kicker. He lives inside of you. If there's ever a reason when you're struggling with singing, it is well with my soul, can I just employ you this morning, it is well with your soul because you know this guy. You know the Son of God. That's why it could be well with your soul. So why don't we trust God more than we do? Why do we struggle with trusting God? And the simple reason, folks, is just because bad things happen. Call them challenges, call them tragedies, call them difficulties, call them sadnesses, call them sorrow, call them grief, whatever you want to label it. These things, when they happen to you, have you doubting God. It's not that anything I just read there, you would, doubt, you would, you would say that that's inaccurate. What you're really saying, though, if we could go have some coffee, is you don't understand what's going on in my life right now. And so, yes, I, I, I appreciate what you just said there, Greg, but, but up against what I'm facing, it's really difficult to trust God. And right in the middle, if I could accentuate that point of chapters 4, 5, and 6, go back to chapter 6 and read, look at verse 14. Let me try to prove this. Right in the middle of Jesus performing all of these unbelievable miracles and just proclaiming who he is through his actions, we have chapter 6, verse 14. And King Herod heard of it, and his name, Jesus' name, had become well-known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in Jesus. But others were saying he's Elijah. And others were saying he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent John and had him arrested and bound in prison on the count of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted him to be put to death, but couldn't do so, for Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And so he kept him safe. When he had heard him, he was very perplexed, but used to enjoy listening to him. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when his daughter, when the daughter of Herodias herself came and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask for me whatever you want and I will give it to you. Which by the way, folks, side note, that's a dangerous thing to say to anyone. So don't, he says it to her. I, you know, I can't imagine in his wildest dreams what she would ask, like what she ends up asking for. He's thinking a pony, maybe, you know, a, a, a ice cream sundae bar. I don't know, you know. And, she's, and so he says, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And then, uh, let's see, in verse, yeah, in verse 22, uh, uh, verse 23, and she went up to her mother and said, what shall I ask for? And the mom says, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately the daughter came in haste before the king, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, 
Yet, because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her, which that's just a, just a colossal look into Herod's life right there. His, his stepdaughter comes and asks him for the head of a man that he considers perplexing, righteous, holy, and he caves because of other people. That, that's, that's an unbelievable character flaw for Herod. But he did it, and immediately, uh, and although, verse 26, the king was very sorry because of his oaths, you know, he was unwilling to do it, verse 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. Now, put a pause right there. Based on what we just read in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of how powerful Jesus is, if you didn't know the rest of that story right there, and you're John now, and you're in prison, and I just said to you, and immediately the executioner comes and basically you know, knocks on the prison door and shows up, what could we, if we were writing this, after reading chapters 4, 5, and 6, how would we end that story? Possibly, and the executioner shows up, and he picks up his axe to, you know, and his, the head falls off, you know, or it turns to butter or something, and, and angels come and bust down the jail, and John gets out. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of creation, spiritual realms, our bodies, our death, and John put his trust, if there was anyone, gang, who put his trust in Jesus, it's John. John's the one, the forerunner, who said, I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's sandals. Guy shows up and says, i got to take you to prison. John's saying, why? Why are you taking me to prison? You're, you're not going to believe this story, John. So Herod, he's upstairs, and he's doing you know, his birthday party. Yeah, I hear all the noise. And, well, and then he tells him about this daughter, stepdaughter, dancing, and how the Herodias has this grudge, and... So John asked the dog, you know, what do you want? And she wants your head. Now, be John here, guys. That's laughable. I mean, that, that's just laughable. So that, yeah, okay, I get it. That's a good story. So you're not really down here to take my head off. Actually, I am. Because a, because a teenage girl wants, because she can't, because, yeah, I got I to, gotta, so if you could just lay, you know, I got I to take your head off right now. No, seriously, like, get Herod down here. I can't. Like, he's upstairs entertaining guests. I have to, like, if you would just, you know. Verse 27, and, when, and the back half, and he went and had him beheaded in prison. Verse 28, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to his mother, her mother. See, see the, the reason it's hard to trust God the reason it's, it's hard to sing with, with, with unashamed and unabandoned like love, it is well with my soul, is because bad things happen. So, so, so what do you do when these bad things happen? Um, turn to Psalm 13 real quick. Can I just encourage you tonight, if, if, today, if, if the Lord has seemingly abandoned you, because honestly, folks, I, I would think in the heat of the moment right there, John may have been thinking that very thing. God, where are you right now? This guy's coming down to, to cut off my head. I've heard all these things about all these miracles. You, you, would heal, you healed strangers. You, 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 you healed a girl, brought a girl from the dead. You didn't even know her. I know you. We have a relationship. Where are you right now? While the ax is coming swiftly down onto his neck. Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? 
I've ever, I've ever come to church and while everyone else is singing praises, you're struggling even just to make it through the service. If that's the case, I guess I want to respond this morning by just saying, when we think the Lord has seemingly abandoned us, we need to continue to trust what the word of God says, and that is he has never abandoned you. Psalm 13, though, gives us some insight, I guess, into how we should handle our misery, how we should handle those difficult times. When it's tough for me to trust God, what do you want me to do? Can I just proclaim to you, I guess maybe the first thing you can do or feel good about doing in some way is I believe it's okay to proclaim your misery to God. I don't think you need to shy away from letting God know how you feel. Psalm 13, uh, that's on page 311, I believe. Three, yep. Look at verses 1 and 2. I think it's okay to proclaim our misery because David does that. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2. David cries out to God in these two verses, How long, O Lord? And that's just a question mark. Like it's, like it's a rhetorical statement right there. How long? I'm not looking for a time and date. I'm just venting right now. How long, God? Question mark, how long? Second question he asks, verse 1, will you forget me forever? That's not a good place to be with God if you ask me. How long, God? Because whatever else you've done in my life right now, right now in this very day, you are, you are gone. You're a ghost to me. How long, God, will you forget me forever? Second half of verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me? Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? And then finally, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long, God? I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? David uses the word how long four times because he wants to get his point across. God, you are all of these things. You're Lord of creation, Lord of death, Lord over my body, and you, I feel like you've, you, you're vapor right now. And I just want to know how long this is going to last because I'm distressed. Isn't the Christian life so easy when life is good? It's just so easy to come and sing praises and it's a happy day, right? I mean, I just think, guys, our characters, our spiritual growth is forged in these moments. David is incredibly lonely right now. And he just feels like everyone, including the God of all creation, has abandoned him. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Uh, this is a 2005 uh, Ford Taurus. Somewhere up there. There it is. Uh, this is what the same vehicle looks like, next slide, when it has been hit by another vehicle, uh, traveling at a speed of 75 miles an hour. N now, when this occurs, the amount of energy from the car that's at a standstill, which was this car, to the car that hits that car, the amount of energy that's transferred not only causes this kind of damage, it will actually flip the car, in this case, landing it right on its head. And wouldn't it be a great story for me to stand up here and say, and I was in that vehicle? Like, that'd be great. Like, that'd be just so you can trust God because I was in that vehicle 
And if I can walk away, you can trust God. Like that, like, and then we put a bow on it. We come back up and sing Amazing Grace or something. You know, we're done. And that just makes a great church service right there. But guys, when that accident happened, I, I, wasn't any, I was two miles away from that vehicle. In fact, when that accident occurred, I was at home with my three kids. Uh, it, was, it was a rather mundane Saturday night. Kids were in the living room playing. Uh, Dad was watching TV. And right about 9.45, three knocks come on at my door. And so I opened the door. And uh, there was a Gilbert police officer. And there was um, two people in black windbreakers. And honest to goodness, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when I opened the door and saw that, I thought it was the FBI. And I thought they were coming to get me. So in milliseconds, I'm running through my past history thinking, what have I done to have the government take me away? Honestly preparing to turn around and tell the kids I'm going away for a long time. So I, and the look on their face, guys, was, was as serious as it could ever be, which then I knew someone's in trouble. And I opened the door, and, and the officer said, are you Greg Tonkinson? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, can we come in? I said, yeah, I got three kids back here, like, I, you know. And he said, well, my name is so-and-so, and this is a child case worker, and this is a police chaplain. And we need to talk. So can we come in? And I said, sure. And, and gang, I, honestly, the rest played out like a movie. Honestly, like a movie. We walked through my living room. And as I'm walking, he said, um, so you're going to want to sit down for this. And so being macho man, I turned around and I said, uh, listen, officer, if you need to say something, just go ahead and say it. And he said, um, is your wife Leanne Tonkinson? And that's, I think, a picture of her. Just, just, and the only reason I show that, guys, is to put a face to this. And I said, yeah. And he said, um, Mr. Tonkinson, about 7.45 this evening, uh, your wife was killed in a car accident. And um, said a bunch of other things, and then I just remember him looking at me and saying, we, we are so sorry for your loss. And so if, if words ever had weight, uh, I, these words had weight, like literal weight, because I remember dropping to the floor. And my kids at the time were 10, 6, and 4 two boys and a girl, and, and, and they came running. You know, they see cops in my house. They see your dad just fall to the ground. They, they don't know what to do. So they come running to, they come running to, 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 to comfort dad. I'm, I'm, I'm curled up on the floor. I just, I just remember, um, I don't remember much about that evening, but I remember holding them and kind of having a little family huddle, one of many that we've had since. This was in 2010. And I said, um, I said, uh, kids, um, mommy went to heaven tonight. And she's, uh, she's not going to be with us on earth anymore. And I don't know how we're going to do this. Because guys, honestly, sidebar, if, if God ever made a wrong choice, it was taking my wife instead of me in terms of parenting. I just, 
For years now, I've looked at that as a struggle with God. Why? Because on paper, she was the better parent. By far. Everyone admitted that. To my face, they would admit that. So, so I, I said, um, Mommy's in heaven, and, and, and here's, you know, and I tried as hard as I could to muster these words. I said, but we get to see her again one day. As if that brought any solace or comfort. Um, 35 years old and, and uh, was two miles away from our house at a stoplight waiting to come home from work. In fact, the irony of it was, I think the next slide, um, that was my last text to Leanne um, because at about, um, about 8.30 or so, I started to get a little worried, just like, hey, you should have been home by now. And so I texted her that about 8.30. And the irony was she had already passed away. She was already in heaven. Like her text back should have been, you know, I'm in heaven. Um, where are you? Um, <laughs> but I got, you know, nothing back, and, um, and then that. And I just want to let you guys know, uh, the, the body of Christ is many things imperfect, but one thing the body of Christ does well, I believe, is comfort one another. And within 20 minutes, not only were all of my family in my house, uh, but friends, church members, pastors, and it was just a beautiful scene because as difficult as that was and continues to be, we grieved together. And there was something uh, indescribable about those hours that followed. At the, 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 the next morning or so, um, I penned these words, I began just kind of getting my thoughts out on paper, and so I pen these words, and I just want to share just a piece, not for any other reason than just to let you know that when I read Psalm 13, I can relate. And that's not unique to me. You've gone through struggles, you've gone through difficulties, you have your own set of circumstances. I said around 8.30, uh, tonight my life, my love, my wife passed away. Sudden car accident, so I'm told. It's 1.13 in the morning now, and I'm awake, but I'm dead. I can't believe I'm writing these words, yet all of them are true. Leanne Tonkin said, my absolute love, the best mother to our kids, the best wife I could ever imagine, has left this earth to be in heaven. Every day, beginning with this one, will be a long day, this side of heaven. I have our three wonderful children to keep me company until Jesus calls me home. Selfishly, I pray it would be tomorrow. But our kids need parents, and really not sure how this will be for each of them. They sleep tonight. Still can't believe this is real. My wife has died. Three children lost their mother four hours ago, and the questions are endless. The pain is overwhelming, and the hurt is all-consuming. And I, I closed with a prayer. I wrote much more, but I closed with a prayer, and I just prayed, Father, make sense out of all of this for us, for the kids, for me. Make us believe that this was for a purpose. Right now, the pain is unbearable. Please keep me and the kids close to you. Please show us Jesus, the cross, your grace, because I can't see it right now. You've been let go from a job. You've gone through an ugly divorce. Your, your spouse passes away. One of your children um, comes down with an affliction. 
But, but, don't, but don't we hang on to Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. God is always with us. So how is it that we proclaim that? But David feels abandoned right here. How does that work? And I think part of it is we fail to do the very thing that God wants us to do to, to strengthen our relationship, which is to cry out to him. Um, what I fear sometimes as I've gone through this now for several years is I don't know if we do a great job of doing this because I think God gets mad at, I think we think God gets mad at us when we do this. And as we read last week out of Matthew chapter 7, the non-believer and believer both hear the word of God. The difference is, is who's living out the word of God. And if there's one thing I've known over the past seven years, gang, it's this. Non-believers are looking to see how you will react when trouble comes your way. And I think what they're a little tired of is when we put on this happy face and pretend there's no pain. I remember one, uh, I teach at a, at a Christian high school, I remember one parent saying to me, um, I, just need you, I just need you to know, because they were going through a divorce, and she said, I just need you to know, my daughter has been watching you, like with a target on your back, to see how you will handle this situation. And one thing that she appreciates is your authenticity. Because I would stand in front of my students, and I don't know if it was right or wrong, but I would just tell them things, like I am really ticked right now, I'm frustrated, I don't know where God is. I'm sorry that, you know, I'm saying this, but that's how I'm feeling. And come to find out, they appreciated that. I think as a body of believers, we need to do a little bit more of that rather than I, I met a widow three or four months after my accident. Same exact three kids, wife got hit, killed in a car accident. I met him in, in the hospital room. And I'm not kidding, gang. This guy had a look as if like nothing, like he spilt his coffee on his pants or something. He said, ah, it's okay, you know, we'll, just, we'll rebound, we'll get over it. And I just thought, you are delusional right now. I think sometimes we have to play this part of things are good. My child just, you know, came down with some sick illness, but things are okay. We're struggling to pay the rent, but yay, like it's okay right now. David says, I want to know where you are right now, God. Because these guys have, want my head on a platter, and I don't find you protecting me right now. So where are you? Secondly, I think that you can ask God to deliver you. Look, look, at, look at verses 3 and 4. God says, or David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. Again, I'm not sure that we're great at asking God to deliver us and petitioning him for that. Somehow we feel like it's less courageous, less heroic, and we just think, I just got to muscle it through. David cries out, deliver me. But you know who else cried out, deliver me? Paul cried out, deliver me. Take this thorn away out of my flesh. You know who else cried out? Jesus cried out. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, listen, I know I'm about to endure the worst death anyone could ever endure, but God, I would just assume this cup, what? Pass. I think it's perfectly okay, gang, when we're in this moment of, I can't get up right now, to ask God to deliver us from that. I, I proclaim my misery. I ask God for deliverance. Now, here's where it gets tricky, honestly. 
Can you imagine if Psalm 13 ended right there? I'm bent. My life is wrecked. I'm going through something horrific. You've left me. I want you to deliver me. And then we move on. And unfortunately, on the other side of our pain, there is something profitable. There is something to be gained from it. But too often, I think, we get in the midst of our pain, and we just stop right there at God. Okay, Greg just said I get the freedom to vent. Okay, I'm going to vent, and, that, and then that's it. And it would be a tragedy if David didn't have verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 13. But praise God that not only should I proclaim my misery and petition for deliverance, but guys, don't forget the third point, which is I want my faith to be preserved. Yes, God, I'm angry right now. Yes, I feel like you've left me. But I just need you to know I'm just being emotional right now because that's what I'm feeling. There's no, no place on the planet I'd rather be than talking with you about this. I'm not abandoning you, God. I just feel like you've abandoned me. But my faith is still intact because I don't know how to make sense of David's verses 5 and 6 unless his faith is preserved. Look what he says. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because you have dealt bountifully with me. <sighs> Wait a minute, David. How does that work? On one hand, you're you know, raising your fist to God. And on another hand, you're raising your hand to God, praising him. And David says, yeah, that's how it works. That's how growth in the Lord works. I don't know of another way to do it, gang. God gives us the freedom to share with him what we're thinking in that very moment. And then God also says, don't ever forget who I am. And so David had a right relationship with God because he, ha he found that. And I just can speak from experience, and maybe you can too, that is the way to do trials and tragedies. Be honest, but never give up on God, ever, because of all the things we just read. I think the world wants us to give up on God. I think the world is crying out, see, I love that you're angry at God because I'm angry at God, and I've jettisoned this relationship. I'm out, and come with me. Misery loves company, and we need to stand in the gap and say, you're right, I am angry right now, I am upset, I don't get what just happened, I'm never leaving my faith, ever. Because if there's someone that will get me through this tragedy, it's God. And then I share with them Mark 4, 5, and 6. He is the Lord of my life, He is the Lord of creation, He is the one who loves me with an unfathomable love, He is the one that gives me peace that will surpass those days where I don't feel like getting up. And can I just say, folks, honestly, um, as I guess good has come out of this. Um, several people at, uh, at Leanne's funeral the next week came to faith, including, including my cousin who lives back east, flew out for the funeral, came to faith, and she is gangbusters for the Lord right now, later in her life. Uh, Le several children have been named after Leanne. 
And I take great pride in, in knowing that when those kids grow up one day, they'll ask their moms and dads, where did I get my name from? And Leanne will be mentioned in that conversation. Um, an international nonprofit organization was started by Leanne's best friend. I think there's a picture up here um, where they make little blankies because Leanne was a pediatric nurse and cared for little babies. And so her best friend decided, I don't sew, I've never sewn, and I'm gonna start something. And now for six years, uh, it, these thousands of these little blankies have gone all over the world providing to, for those in need. Uh, I got married, um, remarried, I guess, or married, whatever you want to call it. There's a picture up there. Um, and I just share this, I guess, because again, goodness can come out of tragedy. And so as I mentioned, I think last week, we have five kids now. And it's messy, and it's blended, and it's step, and it's whatever, and it's challenging, and yet it's beautiful. And my, my wife Jennifer and I, our prayer is that, God, you would do something out of our tragedies for our kids to grow up and be godly men and women who, though they have this as a part of their past, now their history, can do amazing things for you, for the kingdom. I, uh, I've spoken to more widows than I know what to do with. And prior to this accident, I don't know if I even knew a widow. And then when I've shared my story over the years, I just meet widows now. Crazy. And if there's one thing I know, there's nothing like looking across the table at someone and not having to say a word because you both get it. And that's what we do with each other now. We just live life together being widows. And we get it. So whatever you're facing right now, can I just encourage you this morning? All of the passages we read out of Mark are still true. You may feel like God is distant from you, and I would encourage you to let God know that, to ask him to deliver you, but to preserve your faith because of what we read. He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord over you and me, and he desires for us to grow in our relationships with him. And so that would be my prayer for us this morning. Trust God with all that you can. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I would pray, Father, that it's not by coincidence that maybe someone came this morning that is struggling with you. And I just want to just let them know I struggle with you. You're a complex God. But God, I love the fact that you have never abandoned us, even when we think that. So Father, for someone in here this morning that maybe is struggling and feeling the way I felt, give them peace today, right now even, that you're alive and well in their life. God, I thank you that this church body, from my perspective, seems to care a great deal about one another. So maybe this week, use this body to sharpen one another, to love each other, to comfort one another, to reach out to one another, because I have to think with a group this large, somebody is struggling with something. What a better way to spend next week than to spend time weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.